fun is a really wide tent, right? Like I'm sure, yeah. you know, in a few weeks, uh, you know, someone could be advocating for a different type of activity, you know, than outdoor mm -hmm. play. Um, and so I think it will be neat to sort of um, understand the research that you've done, you know, and have a dialogue about that. And then I can share everything that I've learned just about leisure in general, right? Because I think so yeah. much of us we're start, I think that's where our message certainly, there is yeah. a high resonance, right? Is that we're, yeah. we're just mortgaging so much of what life has to offer because, mm. um, you know, in the pandemic, especially, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, because, you know, I listened uh, to Priscilla's, uh, your recent podcast with Priscilla and like, you know, it was interesting, I think, uh, of her personal choice, but then also in a macro context of how, how many parents had to make some, you know, interesting decisions. My wife and I yeah. specifically, and if we get into it or not, it doesn't matter, but, you know, we went the other way. Unfortunately, we were in survival mode. My day job is in, um, you know, we put health clubs in, in corporate installations and, and hospitals and all those were shut down. Right. So we were, you know, I was trying to help us wow. thinking ship and, uh, yeah. we really had to, you know, rely on things that didn't necessarily feel good. Um, so that everyone had the psychological safe, you know, space to survive. Um, yeah. and then how, how do you unengineer that? Because what we do know from psychology is habitual behavior is hard to change, right? Unless you're being, you know, I know yeah. you have a very pragmatic way to do that, but a lot of folks don't have those tools, even though it seems so yeah. pedestrian, right? Um, sometimes it just takes that nudge and I can tell your audience, you know, loves it. And I, I, you know, get similar vibe from my tribes. Like, this is so easy. Like I'm, I'm frustrated. I didn't even, you know, like it just took you, you know, it's kind of like, uh, sometimes I like, you know, uh, fire to a caveman, right? Like that's fire is not really that, you know, it's an elemental thing, but until you can see, you know, then, and then all of a sudden you're like, where it was there right there in front of my face the whole time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, Mike, we're in it. So let's just keep right. going. Yeah, 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 uh, we're yeah. in it. I'm going to, I'm going to leave all that in. It's fantastic. I think that's super <laughs> important. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to throw in here what you say on your website in no particular order. You are an author, father, husband, organiza organizational psychologist and behavioral scientist, recovering entrepreneur, fitness enthusiast with mechanical parts, VW bus aficionado, seeker, traveler, future astronaut, that sounds exciting. <laughs> uh, space tourism is the wave of the future here. Um, yeah. And uh, and you got a book um, uh, coming out here called The Fun Habit in January. You said it's far, but it's really, that'll be here before we know it, um, where you talk about uh, fun and you talk about you know, some, some personal times for you and you were feeling burnt out and, um, and you sort of go through the research about, about having fun and happiness. So uh, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I love uh, this. this, this Nita, one of the neatest things uh -huh. is that when you go to your website and I have no idea how you do this in the tech, like in the background of the technology, but when you go to your website in, in up, like up in the top bar, um, it just says fun, <laughs> but so I've got all these tabs open. I was getting ready and it was like, fun, fun, fun <laughs> up in the <laughs> top. Awesome. I'm like, that's, that's really cool. So, um, so welcome. I think this is a really important topic, especially right now. I, you know, you were just talking about the pandemic and I talked yesterday to, um, Rachel Cruz. She is Dave Ramsey's daughter and she does a lot of things with money and, and her and I were talking about, you know, this sort of wild swing of, I think people feel, I feel lost a little bit, like where, where you had to really adjust everything. And then you're sort of kind of ready to maybe swing back to how you were before. And now there's all these money constraints, you know, so just kind of like really in this odd spot. So I thought what you talked about unengineering and, um, and habits and sort of how, maybe we were personally changed over that 18 months to two years and now trying to refine ourselves. Do you think that's sort of a common, a common oh, thing? Absolutely. I'm, you know, so my slant isn't financial sort of literacy as it were, but um, uh, so I would attack it from a similar angle in the sense of the time. Right. And so yeah. um, I started doing my research in 2016. And at that time, um, you know, what I was seeing and some of my doctoral work was with physicians 
um, and just, you know, employees getting burnt out in general. So a lot of what um, we're discussing now, there's been an accelerant because of the pandemic, but it was brewing before the pandemic, right? But to sort of piggyback off your thought, I think in addition to money, what people got an intimate familiarity with is their time. Um, Mm -hmm. And so a big crux of um, the foundational work that, you know, is, is um, part of my message is social determination theory. And in it is that autonomy is a big component of our well-being, right? If we don't feel like we have control over our day to day, um, that's where, at least from a mental hygiene standpoint, we really start wow. to suffer. And um, the pandemic, right? Like rightfully or wrongfully, because I think, you know, these questions of the greater good are really heady. And obviously in, yeah. in our nation where there's this, you know, political dichotomy become really problematic because we have these weird sides that we feel like we're, you know, we have to entrench ourselves in, but outside of all of that, regardless, fundamental to psychology is this idea that if we feel like we're being stripped of our autonomy we start to suffer, we see that, you know, both in the family unit, that's when things start to fall apart. We certainly see it at work, um, jobs where you don't feel like you have control over how you do your job. Those are some of the most unhappy employees. And so in the pandemic, rightfully or wrongfully, because again, I do believe in greater good arguments. Sometimes you do need to suffer for the greater good. We gave up that autonomy, right? And so we had this shared sort of melancholy because we were like, what is happening to us? And, you know, the things that we want to do that we can't do now that we've come out of it, we get to reinvent that. Right. And there's a lot of unknowns. So uncertainty is always uncomfortable too. Right. I think, Uh, the hybrid work environment is causing a lot of angst because there are compelling arguments on both sides about what needs to happen. And unfortunately we're generalizing the argument and which isn't fair, right? Because there's a lot of folks that have the privilege of being able to um, have a flexible work schedule. But if you're a physician, you know, or you're someone that performs a service like an acupuncturist or, you know, massage therapist, I'm at working from home and having flexibility over your schedule, just it's not fair to kind of apply toxic positivity to that. Right. So we're talking about it in the, these general terms and some folks aren't going to be able to benefit from that. So yeah, I'm giving you a long winded answer to say, yes, absolutely. What the pandemic's done is highlighted what I call time affluence. And that is that money might not be the most important thing to juxtapose it to who you just spoke with. It also could be how much control do I have over my time and how much luxury do I have over the the use of my time? Because my thesis is that that really does support our physical and mental well-being when we can do the things that we want, like being outdoors when we want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you brought up the autonomy and it really actually was like a light bulb moment for me because I really struggled when I became a mom for a long time, actually. And I think that was probably part of it is you completely lose your autonomy, you know, especially if you have kids that are difficult and demanding as I mean, most of them are, you know, and, and, you, <laughs> and you're stripped of, of any sort of decision making about what you want to do with your time or your life or your day or your night, you know, and so um, that sort of sent me down the path looking for answers because I was really I was really struggling, but um, okay. So, so tell us what was your path here to, to learning about fun and your website is fun. There's fun colors on it. It is. I mean, it's cool. You got, you got this whole package going. It's great. So (laughs) what was your journey here? So um, I've uh, started, you know, near money. I'm just, you know, the quick version is through a lot of serendipity. I was invited to be a charter member of the positive psychology association when that, you know, budding field was, had kind of moved out of academia and was, you know, finding, you know, folks everywhere. And um, I picked up a lot of those tools um, and certainly studied it academically and they were all working fairly well, you know, the idea of gratitude and, uh, you know, I picked up a mindfulness practice and um, I was big in the quantified self movement at that time. My wife and I were living in uh, San Francisco. And so this gentleman by the name of Gary Wolf, um, you know, I was really geeking out about all these, you know, performance metrics 
it's, it's embarrassing now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, and all these things were really working, right? I was really paying attention to optimizing way too many areas of my life. Um, and I'm villainizing it now, but it was fun back then, right? And so, um, but the problem is you get yourself to a certain point and you forget that life ebbs and flows, right? And so mm-hmm. I was smacked in the face in 2016. My younger brother, my only brother, unexpectedly passed away um, from a pulmonary embolism. Uh, I had uh, for a long time been an endurance athlete. It, I, I, I tend to um, have anxiety and uh, sport really helps me mitigate my anxiety. Um, and I found out uh, shortly after my brother passed, so I don't think they were um, correlated, but it was just you know bad luck that I had advanced osteoarthritis. And so I was, I felt no pain up until finding out, but you know, it's kind of like an empty gas tank. My cartilage just gave out. And so once it finally did, there was an immense amount of pain. And so at a young age, I had to get a hip replacement, um, which meant I couldn't run again. Cause when you get one young, unfortunately they're just like car parts, you know, unlike our bodies that heal once you have mechanical parts, as you mentioned in my bio, um, if you don't take care of them, you'll have to replace them again. And apparently you don't want to get a second hip replacement because then they're okay. cutting through scar tissue and stuff like that. So hmm. what had happened, but you know, what put me on this path is that I had overprescribed myself to happiness. You know, at the time, toxic positivity wasn't a common term, but I was engrossed in it because I was like, look, I'm a happy person. I identify as an optimist, like I'll be able to pull myself out of this malaise. And I kept trying to chase happiness by the tail. And the more that I did it, the more miserable I was becoming. Um, And luckily that's right when emerging research was showing up. So oftentimes I name drop uh, a professor by the name of Dr. Iris Mouse out of Berkeley, but there's a plenty of folks now that are are studying this phenomena. Um, And what we know is that folks that are overly concerned about being happy, paradoxically are the most unhappy people. So it's important to note that that is different than valuing happiness. Like if you want people to be happy and you want yourself to be happy and your family to be happy, no problem with that. But people that are like, why am I not happy? And I got to get myself out of this hole and perseverate on that problem. Um, What happens is you start to look at the distance between where you're at today and where you want to be and only Mm -hmm. focus on that gap. Right. And so uh, two things happen in the short term, instead of spending your energy towards being happy and having fun and and doing the things you enjoy, you sit there and wallow and like, you know, Mm -hmm. why am I not where I want to be? Right. So what a waste of time in the long term. What happens is you start to identify as unhappy because you're like, I here's happiness out in the distance and I'm not there. So um, by proxy, I must be unhappy. And then that starts to seep into your identity and quickly what develops is a downward spiral. And so I started to succumb to that, but luckily I caught it before it was too late. And I was like, okay, well, if this is all true, right. And at the time it had, it was starting to be empirically validated not to geek out too much. Um, there's gotta be a better way. Right. And so I think just through some serendipity, I realized that, you know, fun and play had been, uh, there had been a lot of research with regards to it in the classroom and it being a useful tool Mm. with regards to, you know, uh, child academics. And, uh, but it hadn't really been looked at with regards to adults. And so like any sort of PhD, once you find a research gap, it gets salient, you know, you're like, oh, I got to dig in. Like, I want to make my debt in the universe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and so what I found, you know, again, the short version, we can unpack it to the extent you want, is that fun is this action orientation. Like you can have fun whenever you want, even if you're in what, you know, psychologists would call a negative affect, right? Like even if you're frustrated or whatever, you always have the decision to go off and have fun. Plenty of people that are frustrated, you know, can do it. And once you're mindful of how you're doing it, so as long as it's not destructive, like drinking or gambling or, or, or you know, unhealthy forms of escapism, escapism isn't bad. There's a lot of escapism, um, you know, that we do for betterment. You see it all the time, like folks that have gotten through a divorce that are like, you know, get themselves into a, a program so that they can, um, you know, learn a skill that will get them out of that or, um, you know, 
find a, a passion of theirs uh, and, and put themselves towards a, a path of mastery. And so you're having fun all the way, um, but you're not necessarily identifying of being happy, right? And so the fact that those yeah. two don't have to coexist um, was a light bulb moment for me, like, wow. And the best part is that once you start to, one, learn that you have agency over how you spend your time, but two, start to in, index these really fun things, uh, as long as you don't have a biological predisposition to depression, because I always try and make that clear. You know, mm -hmm. some people need pharmaceutical intervention. If you have treatment resistant depression, you can't fund yourself out of it because I don't want to contribute to toxic positivity. Right. Mm -hmm. But if it's just because um, the circumstance of your life has created negative self-talk and you are in kind of one of these negative downward spirals, recapturing your autonomy and starting to realize that even if it's just two to four hours a week, and I know this is part and parcel to your message too, you can start to control those variables. You know, sometimes life's going to throw you a curveball. We can't control the external factors, right? But we can control how we spend our time and then how we reframe events that, you know, might be negative. Like, yeah, this sucks, but I'll get through it because tomorrow is going to be a better day. Yeah. I like to say, um, talk about the time it's like we all have a different amount of time that we can call our own basically right you know you've got some you got a single mom you know that's working raising kids you know you know all these different sort of life situations and um and so it's not equal um but we all have some so you know it's like when you have the ability to make the choice um that's what i like to talk about you know so so what should we choose you know, what's fun? What do we pick? Yes. So I think that's a wide tent, right? When I get asked that, I'm always really careful um, because, you know, what you should pick is any activity that's going to lead towards betterment, right? So mm -hmm. ultimately fun, what I love about it is it's unique to each individual, right? Yep. So as long as you're not harming anybody, you get to pick. And I think that's one of the most interesting things, right? Is that so many folks will prescribe what's fun for them and say, this is what you should do. And I, I'm never going to do that because what I've learned is, um, and again, this is kind of geeking out on the science, but we generally look at what is pleasurable through the lens of um, two axis, right? And so in, in geek terms, we call it valence, but it's really just pleasure, right? You're either ha you know, having fun or you're not. And so that's pretty easy, right? On the mm -hmm. spectrum of like, wow, this is bananas. I like want to do this over and over again to like, F, no, I never want to do this again, right? And then the other is arousal, and that's what really makes us unique. Um, so some mm -hmm. folks, like like myself, love high arousal fun, right? So when I'm in it, it's on a roller coaster with my kids or, you know, at a Rage Against the Machine uh, concert, you know, like with my friends just smiling and, you know, sweating and going bananas. For my wife, it's sitting at a pool with a good book or going to an amazing masseuse and spending an hour just, you know, mm. in immense bliss because for her fun is really low arousal. And for me, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, really getting amped up and yeah. to some degree, again, that's, uh, you know, this is, these are components of uh, what we call big five personality traits. You know, they somewhat correlate with introversion and extroversion, but um, yeah. there's certainly extroverts that still like to keep things mellow. Um, but so what anybody's going to find fun, that's sort of, you know, up to them and self-experimentation. But I, what I would say is that if you look back at it and you have any sort of ill feelings, like, uh, I just don't feel good about that. Then I would cross it off the list. Yeah. But if you, if it's betterment, like you feel like a better person and that you can contribute more then obviously keep doing it. And the reason why that's important is because oftentimes too, right? You know, we call pleasure hedonic tone. And so it's got, it's got, it's kind of a loaded word, right? Because then people yeah. automatically go to the philosophy of hedonism. And so it's true that initially it's making you feel good, but what we know through social contagion theory and, and a bunch of other science is that once you start to feel good, especially if you're not doing it in a very selfish manner, you know, like in spite of others, but um, really just to, you know, to start strengthening your own mental well-being, that is contagious, right? And so that, let's unpack wow. that, that single mother thing, right? Like, um, because also, you know, oftentimes a lot of what people think are fun revert 
right to privilege, right? Like, oh, this is expensive, so I couldn't do it. I've seen single mothers that do timeshare with each other because, you know, they don't have uh, a ton of available economic resources. So they'll be like, Hey, I'll watch your kids on Thursdays. Cause I really want to go out salsa dancing. That lights me up. And, um, and so now the kids are bonding, they're having fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that frees both up, you know, to be able to have at least one night off a week. So we're only talking two hours out of your 168 hours in a week. Right. And then also you don't have the burden of childcare because that is, that creates a lot of friction, right. To go off and have fun. Like, well, I would love to have fun, but I can't afford the 40 hours, excuse me, $40 for childcare. Well, there are really easy pedestrian ways to get around that. So, you know, some, sometimes it just takes a little bit of ingenuity, like one extra step, you know, within your, um, your path towards that. Um, yeah. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. It's interesting. So we have five kids and, um, and so sometimes we have some close family friends and they have five kids. And when we get together, it's easier, you know, because the kids they're interacting. And so it's counterintuitive that if, you know, if I drop my five kids off at my friend's house who also has five kids that it's easier sometimes when she has 10 kids than when she has her own five and so i think that's a really practical solution because possibly then the even the mom who's watching the extra kid or kids is getting a little bit of a break oh absolutely i mean because well and we know that right that's why big you know they say there's this sort of this hump right like three is organized chaos and then it gets easier because, you know, then you can start having the older kids, um, you know, participate within that. Right. And, uh, there's components of transactional analysis at play because youngsters certainly need, they need, someone needs to care for their safety, right. Cause they might do really dumb stuff, but you know, once you have, um, a bigger group like that, yeah, they can self-regulate. And to your point, it's, it almost makes it easier, um, 
So yeah, that's spot on, you know? And I think relinquishing that just has so many benefits. I tend to talk in terms of like, how can we shift from me fun to we fun? Because that tends to be additive, right? Like once we're contributing and giving back and it's not just so self-absorbed, that's when the real magic happens. And um, so I think you're spot on there. Yeah. I mean, my, my life journey intersects with this quite a bit, I think, because when our kids were really young and we had three under three, um, we had a willing family to help, you know, grandparents, but our kids wouldn't go. You know, I think that there, there's this period of time where some kids are just clingier. You know, my sure. kids are always asking for me to have more kids. I was like, well, you should have been easier. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> they wouldn't great. go to grandma. I mean, they wouldn't even go to dad. I'm having to take them all to the grocery store. They're crying. Mm-hmm. You know, they were just, um, and they're great now. I mean, they grow out of it. You have no idea if they're going to grow out of it or not. Uh, but they, they, you know, they grow out of it. But, you know, so this period of time where there were no answers, really, like nothing worked, but it did work for me to sort of to go outside because it was um, like when you talk about we fun, it's like, well, they're having a good time because they're sort of engaged in this environment that engages them. And then I would get to take a breath, you know, and um, it wouldn't be for years till I could sit and read a book, but at least I could just sit, you know, or not have you like, mom, 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 uh, you get just a little bit of a, a reprieve. And so I like what you talk about a little ingenuity. And I think your message of you just need a little bit, a couple hours um, is a very hopeful message. And also I think practical, right? So it's not like we're having to fill the our whole, you know, it's like, well, we work 40 hours. Do we need 40 hours of fun too? Or, you know, no, you know, you just need a little bit. And, um, and it's important to carve out that time. You ended up giving a lot of cool examples, by the way, within uh, all of that. It's salsa dancing. And I like that. Re- <laughs> sitting and read a book. There's a couple of things there just to kind of like put a point on it. So, um, this research comes out of UCLA from Dr. Cassie Holmes, but like she's literally found the Goldilocks spot. And that is two hours, two hours to five hours, depending on your life circumstance is generally no matter what your circumstances um, you can. And and even if you have to share, you know, it with others, you know, so you can't necessarily find it for yourself. You should be able to reclaim two hours of leisure in your day. Right. And so, um, but even if you can't do two hours, you know, one hour, it, um, you know, whatever it is for you, because we're all individuals and sometimes you are truly an outlier. The other thing that I would love to just kind of, you know, put put a point on is um, because this is another very pedestrian intervention, but I find it um, happening more than I thought it would. And that is so many parents feel this sense of duty. Um, I get the sense that you, you've been able to relinquish it, but that they have to be present there the entire time, right? Especially with outdoor play. I was working with a colleague um, and she was like, you know, my kid just, you know, same thing that you had mentioned. Like, I I, I don't feel like it's my time, you know, so I, it now is work for me. So it certainly wasn't fun, right? And so, you know, my lens is fun, right? So let's figure out how to make it fun. Um, and so I, have you talked to your child about what would be fun and that also you want to put a little bit of boundaries so that, cause she really enjoys reading, like, so that you guys could coexist in the same place. He sees your face, mm-hmm. but that you could do separate activities. So you reclaim that hour. Um, and so long story short, she found, he just wanted water play and he was totally okay with her not doing it. So she bought one of those silly things at target, you know, that spin around and, um, all summer, you know, he was happy, you know, as long as she was there present to run through the sprinkler and then she got the hour back and just read a book and, um, mm. you know, had to maybe a couple of seconds within the hour pause to just, you know, acknowledge that she loved the fact that he was having fun, but they both, you know, g- you know, got to experience something, uh, really fun for themselves. And then she didn't, she wasn't burdened with that sense of like, well, I've got to watch him outside while he plays like, you know, j- just challenging some of these scripts that we have in our head. So, you know, again, it's not profound when you, you say it, right? Like, oh, so all she did was shift from watching and play to reading a book. Yeah. And it was a big deal because yeah. now, you know, um, 50 hours out of the year, instead of drudging that activity, she's actually looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. You talked about um, on your website, I, I read an article where you were talking about how when we become an adult, it's hard it's hard to have these elements of fun um and friendship <clears throat> friendship was one of the ones that you had talked about you know it's like well we've got work and all these other obligations but you know it's that it's that point of sort of inner intertwining needs and intertwining um sort of goals and and trying to like it was like that you know kill two birds with one stone basically you know of um of of doing life that way so for our family you know, we almost always go outside with another family. Um, and so what that's doing is that's really providing for our kids. You know, they're having a great experience. It's an extra set of eyes. Um, it's It feels safer, you know, from that perspective. And then um, we have like the strongest relationships, Mike. I mean, even, you know, even as friends have kind of gone their different directions and kids have grown up, I mean, we have this, I, I think it's one of the coolest parts about, um, about, about getting outside and about um, prioritizing that is that you're having all these experiences together. So, so you talk a lot about the value of friendship. Um, you have some really interesting things, you know, I'd never heard of a decades long study um, found that um, men with happier childhoods likely have stronger relationships in old age. Um, you talk about how friendships don't happen. Science backs up the notion that good friends can be one of life's greatest gifts. So, um, but that this is difficult, right? We have a job, we've got a partner, we've got a family. Um, you know, how can we, how can we prioritize and establish these close relationships sort of within the confines of all of the other things we have to do? Yeah, I think so. We're figuring out, you know, something that's sort of uh, topical right now is, um, you know, what became problematic was the nuclear family, right? You know, because we don't have uh, the options of sharing responsibilities of the family, that's what made it tough, right? We, we're now having to be our kids' best friend, the opportunities that we used to distribute care, which freed up the time to um, enjoy time with our friends, right? And now what is the result? We, along with burnout, which we've already talked about, we have this epidemic of loneliness, right? And now that loneliness has really been looked at critically, we know folks that are chronically lonely have worse uh, health outcomes than folks that sit too much and um, smoke. I mean, that's profound, wow. right? And that's empirically yeah, validated. So why is all this important? Prioritizing those relationships, that's what gives us resilience, right? And mm. unfortunately. Like as much as we would like to say that, um, you know, unconditional love should be a thing. Uh, I have a quote in the book with with uh, from Bill Merritt, excuse me, from Bill Murray that I love. Right. Like friendship is strange because we just kind of go up to a stranger. We pick them and we're like, you're going to be our friend. Right. Because a lot of friendships have to do with happenstance, like where we happen to be. Right. And um, hmm. but where I'm going with all that is it really is those shared experiences, that equity that you put in, you know, the, the, the time that you have and the memories that you share that allow folks to be there when you do need them, because you can't just dump on strangers. Right. Right. Uh, and so whether you want to call that prioritizing, cause that just sounds kind of gross when it comes out of my mouth. Right. Like, you know, I want to talk about that, that on your website, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like the Dale Carnegie books, it's like these strategies, but then on the other hand, I mean, there are strategies to building friendships and it's not, you know, um, and sometimes I do think that we have to learn those or at least be aware of them, you know, to know that relationships are give and take and, um, you know, you're not doing it for the purpose of down the road, I'm going to need your help. Um, but, you know, but it is important to know that, you know, there's an ebb and flow and, um, you know, you, it's a, it takes a lot of effort. Yeah, you're exactly right. And But it takes significant effort. I wouldn't call it a lot. It's one of those interesting hmm. things, like so much in life where, um, you know, to go and do it, that initial, like, ah, uh, I have to get off the couch. But once you do it, the benefits are so great, right? I mean, I could see your face light up when you're talking about, you know, these common experiences that you have, um, you, know, you know, that you're sharing um, by getting outside with families. Like those, that type of equity that you put in, that it just pays dividends, you know, on all sorts of things that we don't actualize in real time. So a lot of times we don't prioritize it, right? And yeah. we know this um, 
on so many different levels because there's not this immediate benefit, but um, coming out of discomfort, we do get an immediate benefit, right? Like, so if we're sort of bored, uh, you know, watching television has this immediate impact on dispelling that discomfort, right? Well, at least I'm not bored, but you're not really doing anything, right? And like at at the end of the day, I call that filling up the nothing, right? Because you look back at it and it wasn't, it wasn't fun, right? It was just really pacifying yourself during a period of time that you were bored. Now getting outside with your friends, that might take a little bit of effort, right? Like, I don't want to pack the cooler and yeah. And even inviting. I mean, I think that, you know, there's this piece of rejection um, yep. that is, you know, it's somewhat significant, like you invite and they say no, or they don't show up or, you know, there's those type of things. So um, there's definitely different layers of effort. It, it's a it's a thing. And I, I think that takes grace. It's so funny. I was just talking about that because so I have a, a close knit of friends and I turned 50 this year. So I wanted um, kind of as you know, taking my own advice, be really deliberate about spending time with them. And two of them are just so busy right now. They're like, Mike, I'd love to. And these are folks that where I, I tell them I love them, right? I mean, they're friends yeah. you know, where the bonds are that deep. And before I kind of dug into this and um, that would have really hurt me. Like, dude, it's my 50th mm. birthday, bro. Like you're not. And that's showing no grace or empathy, right? Like how, what kind of friend am I to be like, well, you know, F this guy, like, come on, dude, it's my birthday. You know, like right. uh, we, we are living adult lives. So I just, you know, kept inviting people until two folks, you know, did want to hang out and I hold, hold no ill will now. And so that's just piggybacking off your point. Like, yeah, you, if you don't reframe it, if you still have these negative scripts, like, you know, friends are obligated to accept your invitation like that might hold you up, but what a weird script when you unpack it, right? Like, again, because I have done the work, I had the fortitude to unpack it. Like, does it mean that I don't want to name drop him just in case he's listening, right? But like, does it mean X doesn't like me? No, it doesn't. I mean, I don't know what he's going through. Um, and actually, I do have access to know what he's going through. It's, it's absolutely appropriate to turn down my invitation right now. Um, and so, you know, you are going to find your tribe. And so, you know, it's interesting that you're bringing this up because it was the hardest chapter to write, especially when sometimes you're a little bit fanciful because I had to put a label on it and calling it fun friends. You know, your fun friends don't necessarily need to be your closest friends. It's the friends that will say yes every time, Hmm. right? Like, so, you know, and, and... far be it from you to stratify your friends anyways that just sounds gross too right but <laughs> it's a little odd but yeah. yeah you so who cares like let's not even do that but let's let's at least say like hey i know that i enjoy every moment i have with gary and gary is always down to do what i want to do in your case go outside so i'm calling gary and and that's my guy right yeah. um or sally if that's your girl whatever you know um it will be uh, will cast a wide tent but and so you figure out who those folks are and and then you organize around it because again going back to bill murray's quote friendship is weird like you don't have to overthink it like it's yeah. just you know find your tribe the the folks that are willing to to be in alignment and then the folks that you know it's that whole sex in the city thing right oh he's just not that into me like all right and then move on yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is a thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, we've had that, you know, you just find the people that you click with or the people that um, can adventure in, in a way that you can at that stage of life, right? Is there someone that can go salsa dancing with you? You know, is there someone that can, um, you know, sit by the pool and read a book and, and just be happy with that? So it's about finding sort of um, how you mesh. And I think, you know, we don't have that many but you don't need that many, you know, if you have one, two, you know, actually you talk about that. Five. Is there a number five? I wrote down something yeah, about that, that. Yeah, that's right. This comes from uh, Dunbar's work. You know, a lot of people, uh, he got brought up in popular media because um, just how asinine it is to think that you have, you know, 500 friends just because Facebook yeah. gives you a number, right? Because that's impossible. And so that's where things have become problematic too, right? We believe that these very loose connections have any sort of intimacy. And we know this has been validated over and over again. They don't, that's not real connection. That's another uh, significant 
contribution to people feeling lonely, right? Because they're like, aren't, isn't this my tribe? Like, no, it's not your tribe. It's folks that have kind of loosely indicated that um, it's pleasurable to keep up with what you're doing and vice versa, right? There are these sort of social agreements, but it's not who you're spending your time with. And these intimate relationships, I, I boil down neuroscience to uh, very, at a very basic level. What I'm going to talk about is a lot more complex, but at a very basic level, what we know is these interactions over social don't contribute to oxytocin. And oxytocin is a very important part of feeling bonded to others and feeling like we're being taken care of. And so that's lacking in these virtual relationships. So when you get out, when you get outside with your friends, when you play with your kids and there's actual physical touch and there's um, intimacy and you're seeing each other in real time and there's not that weird sort of delay of audio that, you know, trips up our brains, you know, it feels real right now, but our brains know that it's not real because, you know, things are slightly off. Um, we're, we're now learning more and more how important that situational intimacy is for us really feeling like we're connected to one each other and we're social animals. You can't, I mean, you know, no matter how you fall on the spectrum from, you know, secular to spiritual, you can't deny that we're social beings. It's how we've grown. Right. And so when we feel a lack of real connection to others, that's when things start to go awry. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last minute get together recently and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com slash outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com slash outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash outside120 code outside 120. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 1000 hours. That's phenomenally interesting because it's it's like that we have this um, illusion of social relationships, right? I mean, that's what that's what you're saying. It's it, and I think that's the danger in it, especially for young people who haven't had a chance to build deep relationships yet. That they feel like that's what it is, you know. And and I had read this study. Um, I'm going to get the dates wrong, but it was pre iPhone, you know. And it said um, it said that kids are will experience, this is pre-iPhone, kids will experience 30% less eye contact. Now that's different depending on your culture. And, um, you know, I had some people that messaged and said, you know, I'm autistic and, and you know, eye contact is, is a, you know, a different animal for them. Um, you know, that, that kids will experience 30% less eye contact over the course of their life due to screens. And it was a, it was a statistic pre, you know, pre-tablet, pre-phone. Um, and that it talked about how when, when, when we meet each other's gaze, like our souls connect, 
something happens. Oh. Like when you're talking about oxytocin, right? There's something actually physical that actually happens when we meet the gaze of the other and, and that we're supposed to meet the gaze for a certain portion we talk about things being weird and and geeking out right like but you you're supposed to meet someone else's gaze for a certain percentage i guess of the interaction in order to really connect and it's it's a it's a high number maybe it's 60 or 70 percent and we're not doing that anymore yes people are looking on their phones they're just not used to it anymore um and so i think all that stuff is fascinating i didn't you know i didn't realize that when we get together this is contributing to the oxytocin release and so forming a different type of relationship there's another fun component if you if this does excite you and you want to go down the rabbit hole um so a big component of empathy which we know is so important right to our existence like when when we're not empathetic all sorts of i mean i could go we could fill another podcast about that right but so what you're talking about a component of the science there is that we have something called mirror neurons where we're able to um and again, this isn't metaphysical. This is like, you know, Western, you know, science. Yeah. Um, we start to feel um, what the other feels. It's really important with regards to motherhood. And it's why your kids don't want to leave you. But um, through this pathway, where we start to really feel how others feel when we're able to connect in that way inside our brain, the, the brains are sort of this synchronicity. And so, yeah, it's extremely important because when it's not there, we become a lot less empathetic. And it means that when there is a message that we might need to listen to, we just kind of move on, right? Because, you know, if, you, if you're not on the same resonance, you're like, okay, that was interesting news, but why do I don't need to sit with it? Um, one thing I really like about your message, just so it doesn't get lost, because I know we're getting close to the hour too, is, you know, whether it's... Um, experiential play, you know, in an installation or, uh, you know, uh, outside play, like you prescribe this idea that we're not being fed other people's ideas are so important. So in addition to what you already shared about human connection, not always being told like, okay, well, here is more content that I am going to tell you. And then you need to interpret it playing outside or playing in spaces where there aren't rules. And again, this goes back to transactional analysis is really what allows us to develop nonlinear thinking. And so we're starting to see creativity go way down because everything is sort of like, Hey, this is cool. So why don't you make slime the way I've done it? Right. Or, but when a child is just kind of set in an open palette and they have to figure out what to do, they have to figure out how to make their own rules. They have to figure out how to self, um, excuse me, self-organize. These are really fundamental things that contribute to being a better person. That's just not happening when someone's always telling you what to do. Um, and then one last like kind of geek thing that has nothing to do with anything, but I think you'd find fascinating along with the, the eyes um, what we found this year, that's just, again, spectacular with regards to needing to be face to face with folks is that especially for kindergartners, first graders and second graders, we're seeing people not develop uh, phonic skills because they couldn't see their teachers faces. So uh, memorization went up because they still had to figure out, you know, cognitively how to um you know, do the assignments that they were assigned, right? So kids learn better how to memorize texts and then regurgitate it, but they're failing on all these phonetic tests because they, you know, part of learning is being able to see people's mouths move. And so what a weird, interesting, yeah. kind of bizarre social experiment that the pandemic had, right? That um, first graders for a whole year learned speech without being able to see people's mouths move. And um, so it'd be interesting wow. to follow the repercussions of that, yeah. but it goes it along with auditory. what you're, yeah. And just how important it is to have that sort of intimacy to connect with someone's face, yeah. you know, just putting an extra layer of science on your point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, this time is flying by, Mike. I've got, <laughs> okay, I've got, I've got so many notes here, Okay, uh, but I'm okay. excited. Well, I'll be able to read your book in January. Um, we talked about filling up the nothing and I have heard of this study where um, it was, it was kind of to prove that people would choose pain over boredom. You know, they put people in a room with nothing and they could choose to like give themselves a little electrocution. 
You know, it's like it's, not too bad. They're not going to die. You know, the guy that did that, he's a uh, Dr. Timothy Wilson. He's fascinating, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah, he's replicated this study over and over again. Yeah. It's, so people would choose crazy. to electrocute themselves rather than be bored. And, and so mm -hmm. one thing that I found on your website is that people are, they're squ squandering opportunities. Um, they're, they're spending a half, half day consuming content. You know, so I think that you you touched on it in a couple ways, you know, that we're just trying to get this immediate reward of not being bored. And so we have these things that we can turn to that immediately fix that. But uh, within that, um, we are not doing these things that really light us up. So can we talk about sort of how that's changed, um, you know, in the past and, and sort of how we're using our time with yeah, technology. I mean, I, you, you've already let, I mean, we have this device in our phone that are basically, uh, or excuse me, our devi a device in our pocket that's basically an adult pacifier, right? At any given moment, if we feel uh, the slightest bit of distress, um, you know, we tend to go to it. You can see, you know, sit in any line um, and be mindful of it and you can see it in action, right? And so, Applying a little bit of mindfulness is all it takes, you know, because certainly I don't want to villainize these devices. I also don't villainize television because, you know, if there's a show that after you watch it, um, you still reminisce an immense amount of joy. Like for me, that was lost, right? I really like uh, philosophy. And so that was such an interesting show. I can remember almost every night watching that episode, but there's so many of us that just plop down on the couch and we'll turn on anything. You know, if you're binge watching, you know, old, real world uh, marathons, you know, or whatever it is, like that's really problematic. So to, to answer your question, it's the easiest thing to do is to take a time audit, right? And you don't even need, you know, generally if I'm working with someone, I would have them actually do the exercise. But um, because phones know that it is a problem, you can now just go into your phone and see how much time you are on, on any certain app. And if you're spending more than four or six hours on a, a social media platform and your job title is in social media coordinator, you really have to ask yourself, is that a good use of your time? Um, and that's when you can start doing that experimentation, right? Like, well, how about let's, let's not do anything profound because habit change is hard. Well, let's just hmm. try and replace one of those hours with something that you really find fun. Um, and nine times out of 10, that's all it takes. Cause that, you know, that will be sort of the light bulb of like, Oh, what was I doing? Right. And then yeah. it becomes contagious. Um, yeah. And so the world's become distracting, right? That, I mean, just, a we, we have a lot of headwinds and so we should show ourselves grace because these tools have been designed to capture our attention. Um, even the ones that are meant to help us. Right. And so in the book I talk about, uh, I won't name the device, but you know, I wanted to um, recapture my mindfulness practice. So I bought this amazing digital health device um, to help me meditate because I wanted to figure out, you know, when I was in certain brain brainwave states. And it was really helpful until the app started saying, hey, you're an amazing meditator. You meditated four hours. Like, let's shoot for six next week. Like, what the? No, you know, like <laughs> I'm the master of my own time. And this is like, you know, like any more than this, it becomes drudgery. It's now work. It's like what I talked about with my colleague who felt a sense of duty of watching her child instead of, you know, figuring it out. And so that's just like a very benign example of something that probably had the best of intentions. That's trying to steal my time. Now talk about Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, whose litter, you know, their business model is to capture attention. So you're looking at more and more ads, like, you know, it, yeah. it this stuff has been designed to steal those hours in, in the 60, excuse me, the 168 hours you have in a week. Yeah. Uh, well, I found that that one. I, well, I just posted it this morning through your website. There was this are these articles from a lady who works in the video game space, right? And she was talking about how we want to have a learning component. You know that if we have a learning component, which I don't think people tend to associate play and pleasure and fun with learning. She says pleasure without learning. He, his name. His name's Alex. He. Alexander. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Um, Alexander. Um, uh, pleasure without learning leads to addiction. 
our brain releases dopamine when we learn something. So this this made me think about you know the scrolling right uh, yeah. versus it's like how do you how do you pick what you do for that hour? You know if you're trying to switch things up. And I thought this these little bits of information were actually really fascinating. You know things that are for personal development. He talked about um, not novelty. I'm trying to think of what the word was like uh, something new. Uh, uncertainty. Fun is the un the exploration of uncertainty. Uh, so those are really interesting things to think about. That scrolling, right? Scrolling on Twitter, it, it doesn't really necessarily. Every once in a while, maybe if you read something interesting or a new news article, um, but but those don't really hit those things. So the interesting thing there to unpack is that we've learned. You know, you've heard a lot um, in articles that dopamine is the pleasure neurochemical, right? And to some degree, that's true. But what we found in the last 10 years or so is that dopamine doesn't necessarily get released when we feel pleasure. What we found out is the role of dopamine is meant to excite you for the anticipation of pleasure. And where, when, where that was first studied was in folks um, uh, using slot machines. So they were set up. Uh, you know, tracking devices. And they found out that uh, dopamine actually gets released as you pull the handle. Um, and then you get excited by whether or not you win or not. Right. And so the reason I bring that up, because you brought up scrolling, it's the same thing. So instead of pulling down the handle of a slot machine, right, you're, you're scrolling and it's the same thing. You're like, is the next meme going to make me laugh or am I going to just scroll past it? And so it becomes extremely addictive because you have what we call variable rewards, right? Like, and eventually you're going to get that hit of the next win. Um, and, but you're never really bringing yourself forward. You're not developing in any way. And so what Alex's point is, is that so many of these things have been contrived to really just absorb our time and mindlessly put us in this like uh, placid state of pleasure instead of, you know, something that might create a little bit more work, um, put us in discomfort, but then still provide the same amount of pleasure. Cause you're like, wow, now I've mastered that. Right. Like now I figured out, um, something that I, that will be useful for the right, you know, for the rest of my life. For, so, um, yeah, his work is really fascinating. And the fact that, uh, games and play, and again, you know, activities outside, like all of these things lead to self-development, make us better people. And it's time well spent versus things that are just like, you know, routine over and over again, benign variable rewards that make us feel like, you know, something's exciting, but really isn't. It's just sort of yeah. this repetitive loop that doesn't contribute, you know, to our well-being at all. Yeah, this has been fascinating, Mike. So so tell us again, your book comes out in January. Yeah, it's called The Fun Habit. Um, you can pre-order it now wherever you buy books. So um, mm -hmm. I'd be stoked if you do that. And you can, uh, as you mentioned, my website a few times, um, I write most of what I find out about the science of fun on my website, michaelrucker.com. So thanks so much yeah, it's for a fantastic. Me to... It's a fantastic uh -huh. website. Uh, there's a lot there. Like I said, I, I kind of dove in and then I wish I would have had more time to um, dive in, but I know uh, I'll read your book and, um, and there was so much we didn't get to. You have a, a play. Um, it's like an acronym, right? This, there's yeah. so much there. You're the Rucker play model. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that's a great place for people to go look. Uh, so Mike, we always end with the same thing on the podcast, um, uh, a favorite outdoor childhood memory of yours. And I'll bet it was probably fun. Oh, it was absolutely fun. I mean, I have a ton. Um, I think for me it was, uh, I would go camping every year and, uh, you know, just, that kind of connection around, um, you know, being with folks and telling silly camp songs that adults weren't supposed to hear, you know, and having that freedom of, uh, you know, yeah, just not being in the space where there were the, you know, the constraints of, you know, what normally happens with a child, just that sense of freedom, um, you know, and, and then that connection to something that's bigger than you, you know, just the sense of awe you get from, you know, big campfire and, and the critters outside and, and, you know, the moon and the stars. I just thought, you know, I want to get back there. I, as you mentioned, I'm a, 
VW aficionado. So my next pipe dream is to put together a West of Farlayer so I can, because my wife refuses to be in a tent. She says it's got to be glamping. And so speaking <laughs> of creating an environmental, uh, you know, something where the environment supports your passion, uh, that's, uh, I'm going to create a good camper so that she, All she right. can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm following along on that journey. I think that's super fun. <laughs> I love it. Well, Mike, thank you so much. This has been very enlightening. Uh, so much to think about and and, uh, and so much to just help us live a better life. So I really appreciate it and can't wait for your book. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This has been a real pleasure. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy.